We, uh, we're beginning a new series, as Pastor Pam uh, shared a little bit earlier, called Living Hope. And I think if there's one thing that most of us need today, or most of us desire today, it's more hope. Would you agree with that? Amen, Amen to that. Okay. So let, let me just uh, have us think about it for a second. In the eighth chapter of Job, remember Job? Job is one of our wisdom books of the Bible. In the eighth chapter of Job, one of Job's friends uh, gives a speech about what's wrong with the world. And in that speech, Job's friend says that there's one little phrase that we really need to think about when we think about hope, but more importantly, when we think about what's wrong in the world today. So in Job chapter 8, verse 13, he says this little phrase. Listen to this. To all who forget God, all their hopes come to nothing. Let me say that again. To all who forget God, all of their hopes come to nothing. You know, we, we see proof of that statement today, don't we? We literally see proof of this statement in, in every single sector of our society today. I think it's, it's prevalent that's out there. The further we get away from God, the less hope we have. The converse is true. The, the closer we get to God, the more hope we have. So it works kind of in both ways. The most hopeful people on the planet are the ones that, that are close to God. And, and the ones who are the most hopeless people, they're the ones who are far away from God. Have you ever noticed that um, people put hope in other people and things? Does that make sense? People put hope in other people and, and things. Um, let, listen, let you, like in every election cycle, we, we put our hopes on, on names that are on a ballot, and we, we hope that those are individuals that will bring us hope. But as Christians, our, our hope is not found in somebody whose name is found on a ballot. As Christians, our hope is found in the man who is on the cross. And we see the big difference that comes from that. It's interesting when, when people don't have a higher power in God, they tend to make people and things the center of their life of hope. So, so when God is not our our impetus, when God is not the one we're focusing on, we have a tendency to put people in things. We put money, we put relationships, we put our careers, we put our friendships, we put our homes, we put everything tangible that we can think of as the center of our hope in those, in those kinds of things. But as Christians, we have to be very careful, don't we? We have to be careful because it, the scriptures teach us that our hope is not found in the things of the world. In fact, the scriptures are very clear. Where does it tell us that our hope is found? It says that our hope is found in God, and God is the center of all that. So let's go back to what Job's friend said in chapter 8, verse 13. To all who forget God, all their hopes come to nothing. When I was away on vacation, I was um, given some thought to this word of hope, and, and I was trying to think about you know, how important is hope, but more importantly, how do we relate hope? in the many different ways that we possibly can. And I started thinking about, you know, over and over and over again, there is this huge need for hope. We need hope in our churches. We need hope in our families. We need hope in our relationships, and we need hope in our marriages. We need hope in the common values that we share. Hope is prevalent in all that we do. Here's the other thing that I learned while I was away. That, that many need more than hope right now. We need more than just mere hope. We need to understand what this gift of hope is 
that God has given to us. So I want to kind of look at this in, in a way today. I want to look at hope and, and kind of walk you through what hope isn't. Because I think in order for us to really define what hope is, we kind of have to get rid of some of the, um, the things that we think that hope is, but it really isn't. So what hope is not? Hope, hope is not optimism. Okay, listen to me. Hope is not optimism. Hope and optimism, they're not the same thing. Hope is theological, and optimism is psychological. Optimism is all about my mind, my own thoughts, and, and how I want to set things up and what it might be. Um, optimism is telling yourself that everything is going to be okay when it really isn't going to be. Optimism is little orphan Annie singing that song, The Sun Will Come Up Tomorrow. And believing that that's the case. But I'm sorry, the, the sun doesn't always come up, does it? The sun doesn't always shine brightly. Life isn't full of just pixie dust and roses. There's challenges that come with that. So optimism isn't a form of reality. Optimism is really Pollyannaism. Now listen, I'm not against optimism because I'd rather have an optimist than a pessimist. But what I'm trying to say is that, that as Christians, the foundation is built upon that, that we are not to put our hope in optimism, that optimism can't deliver what is true for us. Let me give you an example. I could put a plate of lettuce right here on this table, like a huge salad, and I could look at that and I could say to myself, I hope this becomes a 20-ounce bone-in ribeye cooked medium rare smothered in butter. Joe's getting excited over here. I can hope that. I can be optimistic about that, but is it going to change that lettuce into what I just wanted it to be? It's not going to. So it doesn't change the reality. Like I said, I'm, I'm all for optimism rather than pessimism. So I'm not against optimism. I'm just trying to tell you that, that optimism alone cannot change the world. Even the most optimism that we have cannot change the world. Optimism can only change the things that we have control over. It can only change those things that we can control. I could be optimistic about a lot of things. I could be optimistic about the rest of my life. I could be optimistic about the things I want my wife to be and to do. But if she chooses not to be or to do that, I could be optimistic about things for you. If you don't choose to do those things, it's just not going to happen. So that's the difference between optimism and hope. Hope is different. Optimism says, it's not as bad as I think it is. Hope says, yeah, it is. It's really bad. In fact, it's not bad. It's horrible. But I still have faith. That's the difference between optimism and pessimism. So the scriptures talk about three kinds of hope. Let me walk us through those today. Three kinds of hope. The first type of hope is wishful hope. Now, wishful hope is, is the kind of hope that most of us have. It's, it's when we see hope. It's hope. It, you know, I hope that this happens. Let's say that you're driving in your car and you're late for your tea time. And you think to yourself, I hope that that light stays green so that I can drive through it so that I can get to my tea time on time. You can hope all you want. You can be optimistic and wishful all that you want, but regardless of what you're wishing for or optimistic about, that light is going to do whatever the heck it wants to do, right? It might change, it might not, so we can't put that. So wishful thinking, um, uh, hope, is worthless. But the problem is we do a lot of that. 
We do a lot of this wishful thinking. It's like, um, I just bought a lottery ticket, and I, and I wish that I could win the lottery. Well, let me tell you, you have more, uh, statistically, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning than winning the lottery. In fact, statistically, uh, you have a better chance of traveling to be a guest on the moon than you have statistically winning a large sum lottery. It doesn't work, and it's entirely not that kind of hope. So, so wishful thinking. Here's the second one that the Scriptures talk about. So it talks about wishful thinking. And then it talks about expectant hope. So, so we have wishful hope and expectant hope. Now, expectant hope is a little bit different and expectant hope is different from wishful hope because expectant hope means that maybe you've done something, you've invested in something, you've actually taken an action to do something and you're expecting something to happen, you're hoping. So I could take a bunch of tomato seeds, I could put them in the ground and I could water them and I could fertilize them and I would have an expectant hope that those tomato seeds would grow into tomato plants and that one day I would have fruit. So that, that's real, it's an expectant hope. Now, wishful hope would be that I would just walk out into my barren yard and say, yard, produce some tomatoes today and do nothing about it. It's just not gonna happen. But, but here it is with, with expectant hope. You know, when, it, when a woman is described as to be expecting, there's a reason why. Because she has a baby growing inside of her. But sadly, not every expectant hope comes true. There are many women that I know that you know who have lost children either through miscarriage or have lost children through stillborn birth. And we see this happening. Even though that they were expecting, they were hoping, it wasn't a sure thing, it wasn't guaranteed. So that's why the scriptures say that wishful, thing, wishful hope and expectant hope are two realities that we deal with, but it can't be the, the real hope that we hope for. So what's the real hope? It's called certain hope. So it's not wishful, it's not expectant, it's, it's certain. When a scripture talks about hope, it describes it as, uh, when, it, when the scriptures describe us as being a person of hope, it says is that we, we will not err, that we truly believe no matter what, that God will show us the way through whatever it is that we're dealing with and that God's promise will get there. We know that expectant or, excuse me, certain hope says that whatever it is that I'm hoping for, I can be certain that it's going to come true. Let me take us to Hebrews chapter 11, 1. It says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, here's something that throws people. You cannot have faith without hope. Hope has to come before faith. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, we cannot have faith without hope. So faith and hope go together. So, so most people don't realize that, that you have to have hope before faith. So, so let, me, let me give you this example here. So um, if you don't have hope in believing in something like God, then there's no need to have faith in God if I don't hope that there is a God. If you don't hope that there's a heaven, then there's no need to believe that there's a heaven. Hope and faith. And so these come together in such a powerful way with the scriptures. If I have no hope in a savior who can forgive me of my sin, then there's no need for me to have faith in a savior that can forgive me of my sin. Hebrews 6.19 says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor 
for our souls. So the key words in, in Hebrews 6.19 are strong, trustworthy, and anchor. So in certain hope, there's no doubt, there's no hesitation, there's no uncertainty. We believe and we know. And, and so we are hoping for that. And we don't, in certain hope, we don't use words like, I hope, but what if? There is room for no what if in certain hope. So that's why it's important for us to move away from the hopes that we've had in our past and to move more toward the hope that comes with God in certain hope. Certain hope means it's assured. Certain hope means that we're confident, it's guaranteed. And it's the kind of hope that the scriptures tell us that God delivers to us. Hebrews 6.19 says that this kind of hope is strong. It means it's not weak, that, that certain hope can withstand anything, that nothing can break the bonds of certain hope. It's dependable, it's reliable, and it says that certain hope is an anchor. It's an anchor for our soul. So listen, uh, it, the saying has been said that you can go weeks without eating, days without water, you can go minutes without air, but you can't last three seconds without hope. And if you think about that, we see the power of that. So hope is the anchor of the soul. So what is the purpose of an anchor? Who, who in the room are boaters? Okay, we've got a couple. How many of you have been on a boat? And on the boat that you're on, I guarantee you, especially if it's Coast Guard certified, that, that it has an anchor on that. So what's the purpose of an anchor? An anchor has two purposes. The first is to keep the boat from drifting and the other is to keep it in place when turbulent waters come so that it won't uh, capsize and to move away. So the same reason why ships need anchors, we as children of God need anchors as well. And Christ Jesus is our anchor. You see, a lot of times we get this confused because we think that our anchor is our family. We think our anchor is our money. We think our anchor is our place in our community. We think our anchor comes from all things. But it says in Hebrews that the anchor is what holds us to God with our soul. Without an anchor, what happens to a boat? It can drift. It can drift into unsafe waters. Many of us have seen that happen in our lives. We've seen those times in our lives when we've drifted. We drift away from our church. We drift away from our families. We drift away from the people that we love. We drift away from our friendships. We drift away from God. It is so easy to drift. And so many of us today are drifting. And the question becomes, we need an anchor, and what are we willing to do to believe in this anchor of certain hope that God has for us to stop the drifting from happening? Here's something else about anchors. The bigger the anchor, the bigger the hold. The smaller the anchor, the smaller the hold. God is our big anchor, okay? Jesus said, lean into me. Jesus said, let me be your anchor, let me hold you in place when those turbulent times come. Jesus said, I don't want you anchored with some small anchor and have a puny life to live. He said, I want you to be anchored in me, a large anchor, and I want you to live a glorious life. I want you to live a life of abundance, he says in John's gospel. And so with God as our anchor, we'll never capsize. And that's the difference between wishful thinking or wishful hope and expectant hope, because certain hope says we cannot 
be destroyed if we are anchored in God. And this is something we have to get. This is something that is really important that we see. So how do we, how do we get this kind of hope? How do we get this kind of hope that, that is a certain hope? Here's, here's two things that I think is really important that you look for. Here's the first one. Real hope happens even when you don't recognize it. Real hope happens even when you don't recognize it. In Luke 24, it's the story of two disciples who are walking along on the road to a village called Emmaus. And they are walking together and they are sharing the stories of just a day, couple of days before when Jesus, who was the Messiah, was captured he was uh, tortured, he was killed on a cross, and he was put into a tomb. They're having this conversation, and all of a sudden, a third person shows up on the road to Emmaus. And they're just conversing along and sharing all these things, and Jesus is the third person who's there, but they don't recognize that it's him. They just, for whatever reason, they don't know that it's Jesus. So let's pick up with what Luke says. As they talked, as the disciples and Jesus, as they talked and discussed these things with each other about Jesus's death and his burial, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is what happens. Sometimes when we're hopeless, we can't see the goodness of what God has given us. When we're hopeless, it's hard at times for us to see the blessing that comes or that God has richly given. So they can't recognize him. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still and their faces were downcast. So this tells us about the countenance of these disciples, that all that Jesus had said to them, every word about his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, they had lost hope. They were downcast as he's talking to them. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you don't know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus asks, what things? The two men proceed to explain the events around Jesus's life to Jesus himself. And they still have no clue as to what's going on. And the line that tells us that, that they're still unsure of hope is they say, and the disciples and women went to the tomb and they found the tomb empty and Jesus was not there. At this time, they have no thought about resurrection. They're thinking maybe the body was taken or it was a farce or something happened. So Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The disciples had no clue. They didn't even know Jesus was the one there with them. And yet in the midst of all of that uncertainty, in the midst of all of that complexity of being scrambled in their mind, God remained faithful and God himself was present. You see, life is like that. Life, life throws at us all these things that says, game on, here it is. And we are constantly being barraged by the challenges of life. And hope has to come into play. And how we deal with that. And I'm trying to get us to say that when, when life gives us life and it's recklessness that comes with that, to move into this certain hope, this certain hope that comes from God. 
Now, here's the second one, and this one's really important too. This is the second thing about real hope. Real hope is based on God's word and not my wishes. Real hope isn't based upon what I want. Real hope is not based upon what you want. It's not based upon something that we sense. Real hope is based upon God's word. It's not based upon our circumstances. It's based upon what God has spoken. It's not based on our emotion. It's not based on our imagination, but it's based on God's obligation. And God's obligation says, I am holy, and therefore in me I am your anchor, and you cannot be moved. And that's the hope that God calls us to have. In the scriptures, God has made more than 7,000 promises. Anybody want to challenge me on that? If you do, it's okay. Go, go, go research it, and you will count, and hopefully you'll count more than that. But there's 7,000 promises. Certain hope is based on the fact that God cannot lie. So when we think about that, all truth comes from God, and God has given us 7,000 promises in the scriptures, and when you or I put our hope in that, it's a game changer. When we put our hope in those promises, when we put our hope in our own talents, when we put our hope in our own abilities, when we put our hope in our own ways in which we do things, we will never get there. We will always fail. But God cannot lie. And if God put over 7,000 promises of hope in the scripture, then I can agree and you can agree that real hope, certain hope, is based upon God's word and not our wishes. And that's why we have to have that hope that comes in God. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 13. God has given both his promise and his oath, his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. This passage right here summarizes everything that we've been talking about this morning. It's right here. It's based upon what God has said. It's based upon God's promises. It's not based upon what I think. It's not based upon what I want or what I desire. It's based solely on God's obligation. He is obligated to you and me as his children to fulfill that hope that cannot be taken away. In Luke 18.1, Jesus reminds us that no matter what's going on in our life, we must never lose hope. In fact, Jesus says, always pray and never lose hope. Always pray and never lose hope. There are two alternatives for life. In every single moment of our life, you and I are choosing one of these two alternatives. When stuff happens, we're either going to panic or we're going to pray. We're either going to worship or we're going to worry. Those are the choices that we have. Those are the two alternatives. And Jesus says, no matter what is going on, no matter how difficult it looks to be, no matter what's coming your way, no matter um, how far in the trough or in the valley that you feel that you are, Jesus said, never, 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 never lose hope. And hope is found in him. Why? Because God is our anchor of our soul of hope. Listen, this morning, 
as Dr. Kathy begins to play as we move into our uh, prayer time, I want you to be thinking about where you are in life today. I want you to be thinking about the challenges and the struggles that you're going through. I want you to think about maybe some places in life that you think are unfair or that you have been given the raw bag, so to speak. And I want you to think about how maybe the kind of hope that you've been holding on to to get through those things isn't the hope at all that God has sent. So how can you, how can I, how can we move away from wishful? How can we move away from expectant? How can we move away from all those things to get to certain hope? Because let me tell you, things are gonna happen in life. They are. The wheels will always come off the bus in your life. And the difference between optimism and hope is, optimism says, oh, it's going to be all okay. Hope says, it's not okay. But God is going to get me through this. And that's the biggest difference.